The prevailing winds of the culture are that we should love and accept everyone. Oh, by the way, they must be loved and accepted our way and on our terms. And if you don't see it our way, we will attack you, we will shame you, and we will cancel you into submission. The conflict and anger in our culture is intentional. As the influencers of our culture are not interested in a peaceful reconciliation, but rather an oppressive revolution. And if something doesn't change, this story will end badly for everyone. And it is so utterly contrary to God's vision for the world that is beautifully pictured in our story this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with us to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Last week, Jeff unpacked the beginning of this story where God is doing something remarkable. God is working in Peter's heart in Joppa and in a Roman centurion's heart in Caesarea. We would refer to the way this text is recorded as structural elements. The intent of these structural elements is to tell us that God is at work. At the same time, simultaneously, something's going on in, uh, in Cornelius' heart. Something is going on in Peter's heart. God is doing a work to bring about something previously unimaginable. So Cornelius has sent three messengers. Peter has received them. They spent the night. We pick up the story then in uh, the second half of verse 23. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. So we know that there's three messengers. We know that there's Peter. And we know that Peter takes along with us some circumcised Jews. We find out later it's six of them. So there's 10 of them making a 30-mile journey up the coastline from Joppa to Caesarea. While we may read the words, he entered Caesarea without notice in that world that was almost unheard of. 
Jeff reminded us last week, Caesarea was a Roman city, one of the centers of power. The Romans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Romans. No good Jew would be caught entering Caesarea. Cornelius is a big deal. He's a Roman centurion. He has many soldiers under him. He has servants under him. He has gathered family and friends, certainly soldiers that served under him are there. So what happens is utterly unthinkable that a powerful Roman centurion would bow before a Jewish fisherman and worship him. God is doing something in Cornelius' heart. He is genuinely seeking after God. He's seeking to be obedient, but this is an unimaginable moment. This is also a moment of truth for Peter. The Jews hated the Romans, and they've been oppressed and abused by the Romans for hundreds of years. This is Peter's chance to make this Roman centurion grovel. See how you like being oppressed. But that's not Peter's heart. God is also working on Peter's heart and changing him. Verse 26, but Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent me. So Peter invites Cornelius to stand to his feet. He enters his house, which again would have been unheard of. There's family and friends there with Cornelius. But then Peter says something very unusual. Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for me as a Jewish man to meet with someone as unclean as you. Not exactly a way to win friends and influence people. It's interesting that Peter says, you yourselves know. This was the elephant in the room. They all knew this. The Romans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Romans. And the Romans knew that the religious Jews despised them and considered them unclean. So Peter is acknowledging, we both know this has been our history. But God has shown me 
that we aren't going to do that anymore. I think Peter also is saying this for the benefit of the six circumcised Jews. Remember, they did not have Peter's vision. They're still on the page where we shouldn't be here. So Peter is acknowledging, yes, I understand, that has been our law. But we are now answering to a higher law. And God has shown me we're not going to view these people that way ever again. Verse 30, Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your arms have, alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now one interesting detail would be Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is known for his brevity. So he just repeated everything in Cornelius's vision. We've already had this exact paragraph that Jeff went over with us last week. Why not just say Cornelius reviewed the facts? Why spend all this time going back through the same material again? This is going to happen twice in our text this morning. It's a structural way for Luke to make sure that everyone understands that this was God at work. This was not Peter's idea. This is not Cornelius's idea. This is God doing something. That's why Cornelius mentions the time frame at exactly the same time that God was working on the heart of Cornelius. God is working on the heart of Peter, 30 miles away, in order to bring about what's about to happen. Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Now you have to understand the background of this. The Jews understood that God clearly stated in the law that partiality, that prejudice, was sin. They were not allowed to show partiality. It was captured in a Hebrew word that we've talked about often in our study of the Proverbs. The word is mishpat. It's a Hebrew word that means justice. 
whether you're rich or poor, male or female, slave or free. Under the law, you should be given fair justice. You remember in the New Testament, James chapter 2, James addresses the sin of partiality because they're treating the rich better than the poor. So this was a part of their law. But they did not consider their view of the Romans, their view of the Gentiles to be prejudice. They didn't consider it partiality. They believed that God showed grace and mercy to them as a nation and their obligation in return was to obey and to remain separated from those they considered unclean was obedience. It's a reminder of how subtle some of these things can be. In their Jewish mind, they thought they were doing the right thing. Remember, it took God three tries with Peter in the vision to convince him that that must change. Peter, we're not going to do that anymore. Every person is a person made in the image of God. Every person is a person that Jesus died for. And every person that desires to seek after God is welcome. In the vision God was saying to Peter, Peter, this has got to change. You got it? So this is what Peter is saying. I understand now that anyone, even a Roman centurion, that desires to seek after God is welcome. That's why I'm here. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. And God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify. This is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness 
that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Now, there's no doubt that Luke is paraphrasing Peter's sermon. He talked about Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. He is the one, the Lord of all. Caesarea was not far away. They were well aware of the story of this Jesus who had been baptized by John, of his teachings, of his miracles, which Peter says, we were eyewitnesses to these things. Then he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, and after he rose again, he appeared to some of us. We are eyewitnesses to this. We actually ate and drank with the resurrected Christ. Then he told us to go and preach the message of Jesus. The Jesus is the one for whom the prophets foretold. Jesus is the one who is the ultimate judge of the living and the dead. The Romans were polytheistic, as were all the other cultures. The reality is you you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can believe in whatever gods you want to believe. But at the end of the story, there's only one judge. And at the end of the story, we don't judge him. He judges us. So at the end of the story, you better understand this Jesus is the only one that ultimately matters. So he's reviewing the story of Jesus and ends by telling them that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So there's a couple interesting things here. One is that Cornelius was seeking after God. When Peter said, whoever desires to seek after God is welcome. That's not a pluralistic statement saying all roads lead to God. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite of that. Cornelius is genuinely seeking God. But what he is missing to experience salvation is the Jesus story. That's the whole reason God sends Peter. This is the missing piece of the puzzle. It's also interesting to think about God could have revealed Jesus to Cornelius any way he wanted. He could have done what he did to Saul. He could have just had Jesus appear and tell him. But God is up to something far bigger than just Cornelius or just Peter. God is about to do 
the unimaginable that will change the course of history. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So while Peter is preaching, he hits the point where they must believe to have their sins forgiven. This is an eager audience. And when they hear that, immediately they understand it and they believe it. While Peter, as a typical preacher, just continues to talk, the Holy Spirit comes on these Roman believers, evidenced by the speaking in tongues, just as had happened with these Jews. They are amazed. Never in a million years would they have imagined that these so-called unclean Romans could experience the exact same salvation as them. Peter then identifies that this is true. And there's nothing to prevent them from being publicly baptized, identified as a follower of Jesus. It is worth noting the order of events here. They heard. They believed. They were saved. They received the Holy Spirit, evidenced by the speaking in tongues. Then they were baptized. This text is crystal clear that the baptism followed their salvation was not a part of their salvation. This is an absolutely amazing moment. That these Romans, these Gentiles, could experience the same salvation as the Jews. God was doing something previously unimaginable. As God would bring together people who previously were enemies to be reconciled together in Christ. But this would not come easy. 
You're talking about reversing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of hatred, of prejudice, of teaching to understand that God was doing something new among them. One of the interesting dynamics of this is to think about this from Luke's perspective. Luke is a Gentile, the author of the book of Acts. He is writing to Theophilus, who is a Roman official. Both Luke and Theophilus have a lot of skin in the game here. Because this is the message that tells them that anyone who desires to seek after God is welcome and is equal in every way before a holy God through Christ. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem... Those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. Now these are Jewish Christians. But before we're too hard on them, let's remember, they didn't have Peter's vision. It took God three tries with Peter to finally convince him that this must change. And they're going to have to understand that God is doing something new and different. It's also likely that after the execution of Stephen, things in Jerusalem quieted down. Time has passed. But these Jewish Christians understood if the religious leaders get word that Peter is inviting these Romans to join this movement, it will launch a persecution like they have never seen before. It is a legitimate concern and it is going to to happen. So that is part of the concern here. Verse 4, but Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. 
And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. If you were here last week, this is another déjà vu moment. This is exactly what we went through last week. Again, in a book where Luke is known, For his brevity. Why go back through all the same details again? Why not just say, and Peter told them what had happened? It's because Luke wants to make sure we understand. This was God's initiative. This was God doing something in Peter. This was God doing something in Cornelius. This was God bringing them together. That's the only way that this was possible. It's interesting that Luke identifies the six circumcised Jews who were now eyewitnesses to this amazing event. It's also interesting in verse 15, where Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. There's a couple things there. It's very interesting that he's identifying what happened with these Gentiles was exactly the same as what happened to them at the beginning. Some people refer to this as a Gentile Pentecost or kind of an echo of the original Pentecost. But this is about eight years later. If it was ordinary that people were speaking in tongues... Peter would not have said what happened to us at the beginning. He would have said something like what's happening to us all the time. Sometimes when people talk about speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, it sounds like it's happening all the time. The truth is it happened in chapter 2, it happened in chapter 10, it happens in chapter 19. 
only three times, in three different geographical locations. And it's worth noting that Peter goes all the way back to the beginning, eight years ago, when God did the same thing with us. It's also interesting to think of the language at the beginning. The beginning of what? This is not an extension of Judaism. This is not an extension of the old covenant. Pentecost was the beginning of something new. It was a new covenant. It was a new movement. And one of the things that will define this new movement is we are no longer going to consider anyone unclean. You go to the book of Revelation, and we are told that at the end of the story, God gathers before him people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Every one of them people made in the image of God. Every one of them people that Jesus died for. Every one of them equal in every way before a holy God in Christ. That's God's vision for the world. That's the world as God intended it to be. And that will be the world in the new heaven and the new earth. This is not wishful thinking. This is not God hoping this happens. This is what will be. And it won't happen by force. It won't happen by anger. It won't happen by human effort or philosophies. It will require God to do what only God can do, to change a human heart. It might be helpful as we wrap this up to wrestle with this question. Who would be Cornelius for you? Who would be Cornelius for you? Who is it that you've considered unclean? Who is it you've considered out of bounds? What would be the barriers that you would have to cross in order to be obedient, to carry the gospel to the Cornelius God has put before you? Every person out there is a person made in the image of God. Every person out there is a person Jesus died for. And our mission is to tell them 
about Jesus. Many years ago, I knew a lady. She was very outspoken, very intelligent. I would have to say very loud. And she utterly despised Christians. We could not have been more opposite. Spiritually, politically, socially, on everything. There were a couple of occasions where I bumped into her and tried to show her some kindness and compassion. I would say she wasn't really interested. (laughs) Then her world fell apart. She did not know where else to turn. So she turned to me. And I had the privilege of seeing her come to Christ. About a month later, I was sitting at her kitchen table. She was there with her husband. We were drinking coffee, and she said, whenever I heard Christians talk at me, argue at me, debate me, I thought they were stupid. Their arguments didn't make sense. It was unreasonable. I couldn't understand anything they were saying. But the morning after I trusted Christ, I had changed my mind on pretty much everything. And I remember walking away from that conversation, reminded until we get someone to Jesus, nothing of significance is ever going to change. We may think we're making really good arguments, really good debate, really making some good points, but I'm pretty sure that's not how they're hearing it. Anything that we do or say that is a roadblock to the ultimate conversation that needs to happen is a strategic error. Because the only one that can really bring about the needed change is Christ. And until we get them to Jesus, nothing of significance will change. Ultimately, God has to do his part. He's the only one that can. But both Cornelius and Peter had to be obedient. So I don't doubt God's going to do his part. The question is, will we be obedient? 
and do our part. We'll have to. We'll have to. If we're going to dare to be the church. Our Father, we're thankful that you have called us to make a difference in this world. That we as the church are called to give people a glimpse of the world as you intended it to be. And the world as it one day will be again. Lord, may we be obedient to our call. In Jesus' name, amen.